Welcome to the sixth episode of VSoup, the audio-only podcast you can listen to in between projects and not lose your appetite. This week, Ed, Christian and myself are joined by David Owen. Hi Dave, how are you doing? Not so bad, not so bad. Thank you very much for having me on. For, for those who haven't, uh, don't know him as David Owen, uh, he's also VMackham on Twitter. Uh, I know quite a few people have, uh, have seen your name, who's this David guy? And then as soon as I say VMackham, they... Uh, they do recognise you a lot faster. What does the V-Mac the next, mean, anyways? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the next question, actually. That's what everyone else says. What What does V-Mac mean? Well, a, a Mac is actually where I'm from in England. Is um, so each Thunderland. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Actually, no, it's a little town called Mac isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, that would be even cooler. But no, <laughs> um, like each each region of the country has um, has a associated name like Cockneys in London and Scousers in Liverpool and because we hate Newcastle so much we can't abide ourselves being called Geordies so we have our own name called Mackhams so I'm very proud to be from Sunderland hence Mackham Even though you live in the south oh, You had to throw that one in Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, probably, I'd probably live it further I couldn't think I could get any further away because I live in Bournemouth in Dorset in England so it's pretty much on the same Go any further south, you get wet. Yeah, the same lateral line as France, really, so I couldn't really get any further. So, Cool. Um, so, what, what have you been up to? Anything interesting recently? Yeah, so this week uh, I've been on my um, DC UCI course for um, Cisco UCS. Um, so that's been very interesting. So, um, is, that, is that the, the UCS equivalent of a VCP or something? Or is it... It's Yeah, it's the. Um, yeah, well, you know how VMware is. is VCP is kind of more generic. This right. is specific for installation, uh, um, and it, it's a bit weird actually because the design course, which follows the the install course, is apparently there's a lot of overlap, and you can probably just go ahead and do the the design exam straight after this one. So, do, it is, was, it, uh, is it one of these ones you got to sit the course? In, they won't let you sit the exam until you sat the course. Or um, yes, for the first, um, as long as you've sat one course, I think you can actually sit the the second course, the second exam, sorry, without having to sit the design course. That's interesting. I mean, I, I hear that um, Cisco certifications, uh, I mean, they get even more of a slagging than VMware certifications do. Um, I don't know if anyone was listening to the uh, the community's roundtable this week, but they had the certification guys on there again, and for some reason, I don't know who it is, but someone seems to have a real beef about vendors making money from certifications. Um, and they were giving the, the guys from, it, it wasn't John Hall, I think it was more of the education services guys, a really, really hard time over it. Um, you know, about, oh, you must have, why, why do you have all these um, uh, sort of reasons you must do this course in order to get this um, certification? And because I looked yeah. at some of the Cisco ones, and I think to get the, the, full, the full top end UCS one, you've got to have a CCNA or a CCMP first. Yeah. Yeah, well, the thing is that that one's kind of akin to um, what I would like into the VCDX type level anyway, you know what I mean? So oh, okay, it's, it's pretty high up, is it? It's, it's, it's pretty, in, in regards to UCS. So mm. it's, it's, you do need kind of a, a broader cover of things. And they, they kind of, obviously, UCS has got quite a lot of stuff in it anyway, so they say you have to have a VCP. Yep. So it's, it's part, because that's part of it. If it's not just one vendor that's in there, you know, you, you, you have to be pretty broad so I, I don't have a problem with, with having to do a CCNA to be, I mean I haven't got one yet so no, that's me, one of the yeah. things I would, yeah. um, that's so even, it's one of these cases you know, a bit like the old um, VCDX Enterprise Avenue so, I mean you sat the exam but you don't actually have anything to show for it yeah I, I mean it, I didn't actually listen to the community's podcast um, this week so I don't know who was um, mentioning the price I actually don't have a problem with with them trying to make money off the exams. That's just part and parcel, and it always has been. And yeah. But the one the one thing I did have a bit of an issue with was the VCDX stuff. So I actually followed it um, up to the design exam part on the old versions on version three uh, before they went to vSphere. And it's just it was just ridiculously expensive to do to sit one exam. And it didn't seem any more com- com- complex, especially the 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 first en- admin exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just didn't get why it was no three hundred dollars or more than something like that when the equivalent VCPs you know, aren't all the uh, VCAP uh, exams quite hefty in price as well. I believe it's exactly the, yeah, it's yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, they haven't changed the pricing model on on that level of um, 
it's essentially they've just renamed the enterprise and design exam from the first VCDX path into these uh, accreditations now. So we actually actually count for something. So my VCDX three enterprise exam doesn't count for anything. It's just I've passed an exam and I haven't got an accreditation for it. Whereas now they actually put an accreditation on it, which in hindsight I probably should have waited for that <laughs> for the VSphere one. So I actually had a proper accreditation from it. But you know anyone worth their salt knows that if you pass the enterprise exam. You know, you, you you're as good as passing the the VC. No, oh, yeah, D- yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, DCA. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you do need to know know your apples for it. Um, I mean, the, the thing I've got now is they they've officially said they're only doing three defences a year, and it's one defence mm. per geography per year. And so, unfortunately, I think you've got if you want to defend in Europe, you've got ten days to submit your uh, design. What for this year? Yeah. Uh, they're doing. They're basically. I think they're doing Frimley in May, um, and the deadline for design submissions is March twenty-first. Uh, and then there's pa- uh, Palo Alto in uh, August, mm. and um, Singapore in October or something like that. Mm. So yeah. I'm quite lucky now because my the company I'm working for now really want me to to go down that path and 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 get it. So. You're, I actually think they would send pay, it to Palo Alto for it. Or? Uh, well, possibly. I, you know, it, that's that's one thing that I've got now. But previously, when I was, um, you know, a freelance consultant, I had to pay for all that myself, which is why I had such a problem with paying those mm. extra fees in the first place. But if anyone is a freelance consultant and they're good enough to be a VCDX and they want to go down that path, then it's going to cost them a ridiculous amount of money for flights and hotels and stuff, and they're not going to get that back. So I'm a, that that doesn't sound particularly great to me. It, it is an expensive hobby, um, yeah. <laughs> particularly with you know when there's something like a fifty-five percent chance or sixty percent chance that you're going to come back without a VCDX. Mm. Yeah, and I've I been think, hearing that more and more lately. Um, they, it, it's tough, and I, I freely acknowledge that it should be tough. Um, if you're going to separate out the absolute best, then mm. it should be difficult. Might. I just don't quite know where to start with the design. Um, it's, I think it's something that yeah, if you've been working in professional services a long time, it would help. No, I, this is. I, I'm going to say something quite controversial here, but Go for it. I wonder what I wonder what the failure rate was on the first 30 VCDX. Because I I would I would hazard a guess that it wasn't as high as the, the following ones. <laughs> Interesting. If that makes any sense, I, I would love to see that stat. But yeah, they're, they're not giving that out, though, are they? Oh, there's a shock. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's yeah, it it's harder. I, I I even think it's harder now that there are I don't I don't know how there's what sixty VCDXs out there, something like that. So it's harder now that those are already here, and and because those are established, VCDX is much more famous now. It's you know it's it's kind of the thing to get in virtualization. So it's, yeah. Um, I imagine that even VMware have consciously made a decision to go right. We must fail people. We must have a decent failure rate. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just I know too a load easy. of people that have that have failed, and people that you think actually you know these guys really do know their stuff, and that they you know that they didn't pass it is uh, quite impressive. Um, you know, this, we're talking people who've written books and people who are now um, you know they've they've gone on to get probably the same job that they'd get if mm. they passed their VCDX. Um, yeah, you know, I think if they still uh, manage to work for EMC, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think the advantage in the VCDX is, and it's this is still the same as probably a year ago, is that anyone say not that doesn't like not EMC or not VMware or not a big vendor sees VCDX and just they don't really understand what it is. They know it's a top level qualification, and they know that if you've been part of that process, oh, you must be good. Do you know what I mean? It's just a kind of an assumption that. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a little bit like with the iPad 2 release. They don't know exactly what it is, but they do want it. (laughs) This is is also kind of a controversial uh, thing to bring up about it, but do you think that you would have a higher success rate the more people you knew within uh, the the organization? I mean, I I, I don't... I I know people who definitely know know a lot, and at least one that works for VMware... Um, who failed? Yeah, but you got to think though, the conscious decisions behind that 
are, well, you know, if someone's very public about it and they're doing, and they work for the company as well, they yep. must have to say, well, actually, we can't pass everybody. And if we fill this particular person, then everyone's going to know about it and everyone will know that we're fair and we um, are across the board fair. So oh, that's an amazing. It could, it could be quite political. I mean, I don't know. Where's the Xbox? Yeah, it is, it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but who knows? Seen, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think if you're good enough, you're going to pass it. Yeah, yeah not yeah. saying it's unfair. Just saying people, unlike machines, can be biased. Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's it, the human element's always there. Uh, I mean, one of one of the interesting things is that the all of the guys I'm working with uh, have got at least one CCI in. They they seem to try and collect them like toys um, but the CCIE basically if you pass the lab and you pass the exam you'll get there's I'm not saying it's the same level as a, a, a getting the two VCATs because you know you've got a written type exam um, and a practical exam which is pretty much what the DCD and the DCA are except I'm sure that they're, they're technically at a much higher level than the, than the uh, DCA and DCD but it's quite annoying to be able to qualify at the same level as them. I've got to go one step further. As I said, I haven't done my v- my CCNA, but I've heard from the Cisco guys that generally it's harder to get the CCNA than it is to do the CCIE because the CCNA is now so so broad in in, in subject subject matter that once you get the CCIE level, it's just it's more specified. Oh, yeah, because I guess you've now got to know the, all the voice stuff and the security stuff and. It's That's what I hear about everything that Cisco sell. You need to know a little bit about. Yeah. Pretty mad. Yeah, Pretty mad. Now I imagine they'll start adding the converged infrastructure stuff to that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The next stuff. So, speak, speaking of which, um, how are you getting on with the UCS? I mean, I've had a chance to play with it very briefly myself, and I have to say, after even after an hour of tinkering around, I was thinking, "Hey, I like this. This is neat." Um, yeah. What did you think? It's it's brilliant. It kind of does everything you want. So so blades obviously we all have been around for a while and they all have had advantages and disadvantages for a while. So I think this is what we're trying to do with, with UCS is close out all those existing issues as much as they possibly can, and you know sell this product as you know they, they'll be able to upgrade it without having to upgrade chassis and all that kind of stuff. And it really you know can go long term, which is brilliant. For me, if I had one thing that I had a bit of a problem with it was it's if you've got a small scale environment, say you only need a couple of chassis and, and say one fabric interconnect, um, something really small, the management of it isn't particularly intuitive. So if you haven't got a lot of experience with VMware or whatever, and you're say a standard system ad, systems admin and you get a solutions um, company come in and go, right, brilliant, what you need is UCS system. We'll throw it in there. We'll, you know, give you a couple of lessons on how to do it, and then we'll walk away again. And I'm just going to have the, the slight fear that these guys are just going to sit there and go, "What on earth is a service profile?" <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's from that respect, I kind of see it being, you know, slightly of a pain in that. But it's not aimed for that, really. I mean, you can use it for that, but it's it, you're talking about massive scale rollouts and ha- how to manage those. So, you know, they've really gone to town on that and, you know, there's not a lot, there's not really a solution as good as that on the market, I don't think. Fair enough. Um, no, it's, uh, I've been really impressed with it. Um, again, I've only got a fairly small scale uh, infrastructure and it, the UI does seem very pretty complex. I mean, there's a lot, lot of options in it. Um, yeah. I'm used to, as soon as I see a UI, I start clicking around places I probably shouldn't be clicking anyway. So... I, I don't. I rarely get phased by one as long as it's reasonably logically laid out. Um, yeah. And I, I've seen I've seen much worse UIs than that. So yeah, uh, I'm sure I'm sure it is. It's just it sometimes it is the logical flow of things. So assigning um, it, it's also terminology. Well, having so say Cisco will call something a compute node, and uh, in one respect, and then the next thing I'll say is it's a server. And you start to get confused, and then they have a service tab, which means that you've got all your service profiles underneath it. And then they'll have another tab which says servers. And you, it, it, from a very, you know, from a very first, you know, look, first look at it, you kind of think, what on earth? Once you figure it out, it's fine. It's just um, it is slightly confusing at the front. But the good thing about 
UCS and, and where they're kind of going with it from a higher private cloud level is that you can plug in extra things like, uh, say, say uh, BMC Blade Logic, something like that, that can plug directly into the API. And then you mm-hmm. can manage it to a dead easy good, a GUI. Um, and it, you know, th- those types of things give it the. Uh, so say, uh, what, how many is it? Thirty-two chassis or something like that. You can put into a fa- up to up to forty chassis or something like that. You can put into a fabric interconnect. That's what happens if you want more than that? Light, yeah. yeah. So uh, what, what if you want more than that? And then the man- the manageability becomes a bit of a pain because you don't have, um, like you 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 pair of fabric interconnects are your management thing until you get more than that, and then you need something like Blade Logic that can come in and manage that for you through a GUI and manage multiple, um, fabric interconnects. So you know they've they've already addressed these issues, and and when it comes to private bar, I think yeah. you know UCS is perfect for that. Hence, you know why FlexPod and VBlock are you know UCS driven. So. so are they are they basically you reckon you know the building blocks are off the private cloud or <sighs> of choice perhaps? Um, obviously, there's nearly every vendor will have their own you know interpretation of what <laughs> of what they want to do. Um, it's it's kind of what's what's big in the market right now, and you know I work for a you know, colossal Cisco partner. You know, it's one of the best Cisco partners in the country. So it's what we're going to use, um, and for me, that's the right decision from from what I've seen of the product. So you know, I, I can't see any reason why it won't really take off. And I've seen some figures coming out of Cisco, um, which are brilliant considering how long this has been around. And where they where they really see it going, they, Cisco want to Cisco are really backing this horse, really backing this horse. And for a catch rich company like Cisco, you know, they they've really got a potential to get it properly right. Yeah. So yeah, I've I've seen a lot of a lot of um, traction with that. Do Do you think it's really only something that you can sell into the big markets, or is no, no, I'm, no, we've we, I mean, no, no, for who who. Who I'm working for at the moment, we've actually rolled out quite a few small deployments. Um, yeah, just like one or two chassis. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's the converged networking and um, the converged resourcing and stuff that you get in UCS that really sells the term um, on a small scale as well. Instead of having three or four racks, you can pile it on into you know just one. Hmm. And if you don't have the you don't have those context issues. Sorry. Okay, we have the. Uh, you keep talking about large and small deployments. Uh, what I'm seeing is kind of the the UCS stuff is way too uh, big for, let's say, my environment where we don't run that many hosts and that many. Um, I mean, talking about one or, or multiple chassis even uh, is way too much for us. Yeah. Um, so so right now it seems kind of geared towards. Uh, not too small businesses per se. Um, so, I'm kind of wondering if if uh, if Cisco want to go the the other way as well and create something that's you you might require two chassis for a redundancy, but you might not need it for the uh, the actual computing power. So creating something that's a bit smaller and, and usable for yeah. small oh, so the more of a, well. a single modular. They they do yeah. some stuff like that for VDI. Um, I think they've got. I was reading this morning, actually, they've got like a bundle that they did with Citrix, which is uh, a chassis with five blades in it, three of which are designed to be sort of session hosts for VDI and two for run, you know, um, being sort of application virtualization hosts. And it essentially comes with like 300 Zen desktop licenses. So in theory, that's kind of, you know, that's a VDI pod in a box. Yeah, sure, sure, but that's still double the amount of what I, I would, would would need. Uh, uh, that's why I, I've been looking at this, uh, doing something like this with uh, with HP and uh, the blade systems they have. Yep. Uh, so we so we have a C seven thousand rack uh, blade blade center, uh, and we're just putting in a few new blades into it now to move out of our old IBM uh, servers and and virtualize uh, on blade systems instead. But we don't need 300 view seats, or we don't need 300 server VMs. But we do need something that's uh, ideally we would just buy two of those boxes, place one in the disaster recovery site and one in our main site, and just replicate them. Uh-huh. Uh, but we don't need like 
20 servers or 20 blades or whatnot. It's, it's much smaller scale than most uh, most of the uh, the market that UCS seems to target at the moment. Well, I, th- I think what Cisco are planning to do is they actually have two levels of, or two makes of UCS. They've got the blades, which is the B series, and they've got the C series, which are the, the standard uh, rack mount servers. And at the, at what they're planning on doing is having those managed through the fabric interconnects, so they would be able to be seen from the management point of view as just another server um, or another blade or whatever. So once they crack that, I think that's the kind of thing that, the, that you'll be able to say to um, a really small company, look, you don't need a chassis. You really don't need a chassis. You're not anticipating on growing that big. You'll never really ha- need the, the dependency of having um, just to be able to throw a, a, a blade into a chassis. You don't need that. Whereas you can just have four C-series, two U servers, and be managed manage them through a fabric interconnect, and you, you get all of the advantages of service profiles and, and, and the stuff that you, you get through the management. And so I think that's where the kind Although of... Although the C-series does take local disks, which yeah. kind of throws a little bit of a curveball because a service profile with local disks isn't really stateless. No, no, but you know, it depends how you set up your C-series. It's just a normal server, so if you yeah. wanted it to, to boot from SAN... You set it up as you would do a normal Rackman server, and connect it to your SAN and, and set it up to boot from SAN. It, you know, it, it's not it's, that's not any different from anything else. Uh, Cisco themselves said that if you want to buy dumb compute, then they're no better than anybody else. If that makes sense, they, they, they don't have a strategic advantage if you just want dumb compute. If you want to converge compute with with enhanced management of that, then that's where Cisco come in with with UCS. That's where they really see the, the big leaps forward from what they can offer. If you just want dumb compute, it's much more it's much more difficult for them. Oddly enough, they do have something at the completely other end of the scale that I saw at VMworld, and I, I did try to follow up with uh, Cisco. I, I haven't had a whole lot of luck, um, but I'm hoping that I might be able to exploit the fact that I'm working for a, a goal partner to, uh, to try and get my hands on one. And it's something called the UCS Express, which is actually built into one of their um, the integrated service routers, mm. which are, in theory, an, basically an entire office infrastructure, small office in- infrastructure in a box. So you've got a switch, WAN router, um, I think it's got the firewall units in it as well, um, and probably your, your VoIP phone stuff. It also then has a, a PC blade, which has got... Um, it's not massive amounts of power. It's probably some. Um, I think it uses a couple of dual core, sort of low power CPUs. Uh, basically, I don't know if it's if they're similar to the sorts of thing in the microservice, um, but yeah, yeah, it's not the sort of thing that's going to set the world alight. But for running those oh, office VMs, don't be sure. Don't be sure that it won't set the world alight. Uh, You've burnt your what, kitchen down with your microserver already. No, I haven't. But we have a we, we have all these floating remote offices yep. that don't need uh, much computing power, but they do need networking, firewalling, uh, WAN acceleration, and some local storage on a local server. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, in that regard, something like the uh, UCS Express would make a lot of sense. And, and managing that, if you can manage that through uh, a centralized uh, management software and kind of profile them and, and have all the knobs and bits work together uh, while centrally managed, that would make a whole lot of sense for a lot of, lot of people. For remote offices with low connectivity or satellite links uh, and, and stuff like that, something something like like this would pretty much brilliant. You wouldn't have to order parts. You wouldn't have to design anything yourself. Get a box, place it on there, and provide it with a central configuration. Yep. I mean, it it makes sense. And I'm I'm quite surprised that there hasn't been more more noise about it. Uh, I haven't heard heard about it before. Actually, I'm I'm looking at it right now, to be honest. And that looks really cool. In my my kind of environment, that makes a lot of sense. I'm guessing that you know, because most people think of the 
the larger scale kit that Cisco does. You know, when you think of Cisco, you're thinking of like a Catalyst 7000 switch, which is the size of your fridge, um, yeah. rather than a little box, which could be all of your IT kit in one go. So perhaps just the way it's being sold. Um, I mean, one, one thing to consider as well is, that, you know, this is Cisco's first forage into infrastructure. Yep. You know, they can't, they can't throw everything everything at one side. So I think they've got, I think it's it's a wise thing for them to do is to, to not just go whole hog into infrastructure and just, and just go with one thing at a time. So, you know, big, big money is, you know, in enterprise. So, you know, the, the smaller man suffers. <laughs> no, that's true. I guess it's where the profit is. But I think the, the big thing about where all this is going is you can commoditize UCS in, in, into into the things like V blocks. So it's um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting uh, area for sure. Cool. So yeah, and, and enough enough of my, myself and uh, David talking. Apparently, there's a couple of other people on the podcast. Ed, how you doing, <laughs> mate? Hey, man, how are you? Cool. Yeah, cool. Good. Um, so you're all, all back and uh, safe and sound in uh, in Switzerland at the moment. Yeah, I didn't mention it in my last podcast. In the last podcast, but we did. Uh, I did an integration in uh, Mexico City uh, about mm, about ten days ago. Um, okay. Well, was that sort of uh, a start to finish virtualization project, or is it just something you know you had some stuff ready to deploy in? Pretty much whole hog. I had to go in there. Uh, we didn't have any money for a uh, for another server because it was paid for by the uh, group company so I had to um, virtualize the server create a I create I want to just uh, doing a P to V of it and then reloading the entire machine copying it back actually attaching them to the corporate network everything like that and uh, when it comes to situations like that it's always uh, always up in the air and you're always got to make some quick decisions um, not as bad as the Vietnam project I did, where I was actually electrocuted by a server rack, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but stressful that's, nonetheless. Well, that's that, always a that bad situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he used to have loads of hair. <laughs> wow. Um, so was it was it just just a couple of boxes you were doing, or was it sort of a, a largest scale? Well, it was only it's only technically three virtual servers and one. Uh, vCenter standard or uh, v, uh, vSphere standard server, no, oh, okay. not anything really big, but but still, when you when you have a week to complete something like that with a full working office with like twenty people in it and everybody's wondering what you're doing, and you're the guy from corporate, and then you have to actually something I haven't done in years is add everybody to the domain and all that kind of stuff. Oof, gets interesting, especially when the machines are completely unstandard and some are running home edition and just really yep. weird stuff. It is, it is a nightmare. You sort of, I don't know, it's sometimes I think you get used to working in, in corporate IT or enterprise IT for so long and then, and, and you think that the world, the world has got everything standardized and it's then, you know, down to things like host names and things like that. And then you go to an environment where perhaps there isn't quite as much control and you take one look in the server room and you draw a deep breath as you see that, you know, that there's more different colored network cables that you know, just been randomly used, strung between racks, like strung across the corridor, um, blocks of wood propping up the servers. Yeah, the fun, the fun one I saw was I, uh, I said, where's the switch? Because everything was running under a cabinet and it seems like their server room wasn't actually a room. It's just in front of the office. <laughs> uh, no security at all. So I nice. look under. I said, "Where's your switch?" They say, "Under the cabinet." I look under the cabinet. It is probably a 1995 threecom hub. Not even the <laughs> switch. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's good to hear that you guys enter my world sometimes. <laughs> it seems to be uh, lately. It's been my specialty. The the past few months is. They send me into somewhere that is completely... Places where change management forgot. Yeah, or it's just completely, <laughs> completely crazy. I have language barrier issues, all, all kinds of stuff. Ouch. Now, that sounds pretty pretty nuts. Because I mean, I've, I've been looking at things sort of from the... Just from the, the VMware point of view, looking at uh, sort of 
uh, assessment tools and things like that. And I know so far, I don't think an assessment tool is always going to is going to help when you don't really even know what the network layout is, and it's trying to do a discovery and looking through the um, uh, the sort of the user manual and the guides for capacity planner. It says right, your capacity planner box needs to be able to talk to everything and have access to it. It's like well, it's brilliant. If only I knew what was out there that I could access yeah. and what I would need to access it. In a very so well, that yeah, discovery well, in, in, is a nightmare. In a very well organized environment, it's the capacity planning and everything comes into play, and you actually have time to plan. But when you yep. go into a situation where the server might be, you know, 10-year-old things that are ready to die, all this stuff, sometimes you just you just have to improvise and no tool in the world is going to help you there. It's when you basically have to JFVI. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, nice plug, it's, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, it, it is not. Nah, that, that's when you need a ninja. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work out actually is is there a better sort of tool perhaps perhaps I'm just not using the right kind of assessment tool uh, I'm using one that's designed for people who have a structure that they know about um, so you know, what about people who have structures that they don't know about that they want to find out about so it got me thinking about some of the, the, the less surreptitious tools because so, what sort of person that wants to look at a network and find out about it without having to pre-know? No. Oh, yeah, hackers. So th- there's got to be some, some more white hat-based tools. That I've used something in, in, in the past, uh, something from Fluke, I think. They created a software that does as, as an MP-based uh, uh, networking discovery and draws it in a visio for you. Ooh. Uh, I haven't seen it in years, uh, it's yeah. been a long time since I used it, but it, it was pretty cool back uh, back in the old days when everything was black and white. Something like that, though. Doesn't the Vizio the Vizio probably looks pretty ugly when it comes out? Uh, it have, does. Have you seen does. automatically generated Vizios of a VI environment? They look just as yeah, yeah, yeah. I know from uh, using the brocade. There's a brocade tool where you can map out your fabrics, and I did. I, I used it just to, for a test, and it. Uh, just made a million lines in a ton of ugly icons. <laughs> nice. Really unusable. Nice. Because uh, I just, I'd love to be able to sort of, you know, plug something, be able to potentially turn up at a customer. Okay, perhaps get get some domain credentials, um, but plug a box into their network and go right. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, so you've got, you know, d- discover a their servers, b their networking hardware, and c their storage hardware. Because, you know, if you're going to try and sell them something like UCS, you can't just sell them UCS blades. You've got to be able to persuade them that it's a really good idea to use the converged fabric. So, you know, yeah, but in, 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 so- in most cases, you won't need uh, need any credentials. That's the uh, that's the actual sad truth of it. Uh, as as long as you can use some kind of uh, SNMP Walker tool to discover everything, chances are huge that the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> it's, it's public. It's, it's gotta be, uh, the SNMP string is community string will be public and you'll get a lot of information just by turning up. That's so, uh, I, I've used that in, it, it was some kind of software from Fluke Networks. I, ca- I can't find the name of it right now, but, uh, but it's, it's 10 years ago. So, my my memory might be failing me. Or it might oh. have been bought by somebody else. One, two. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably oh. AMC by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, spe- speaking of things, uh, things that have been sort of purchased, uh, does anyone catch the uh, operation, the vCenter operations manager, software formerly known as a live VM um, launch that uh, got soft launch this week? Yeah, I heard it has like um, it, it's like Capacity IQ and uh, vCenter Config Manager, like and something else, all smashed into one. Yeah, I've not seen the Enterprise one. I, I was lucky enough to have a, a play with the standard edition, um, and it's very pretty. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't really running it in an environment where it could. Um, find many issues because it was a really quiet lab that I was running it in 
Um, I didn't want to break anyone anyone else's VMs to try and generate some errors. So it was looking fairly green across the board. But it's nice, but I don't know if I would want... If Is it software that I would find myself opening up every day? Um, or, you know, if I was in a network operations centre, yeah, it's it's definitely something that, that would look great on a plasma screen. Um, you know, for passing visitors to go, ooh, you've got pretty lights. Um, and it's definitely for friend, friendly for visitors in that way. Uh, Kendrick uh, Coleman actually had a blog post regarding uh, vCenter operations called vCenter operations and the hype, uh, where he goes on about uh, the pricing model for it with the $50 uh, VM pricing uh, scheme. Uh, most of us know Kendrick, uh, as, a, as he says himself in the second, second line of this blog post, as a VMware fanboy, I and mean, he, he works for, for VCE anyway. But uh, as he says here, I'm a, I'm a known fanboy for VMware, but this product is probably on the bottom of my list, which uh, is kind of a, a pretty bold statement, actually. Uh, but as you said, Chris, it's, it's, it's pretty. Uh, it looks good, but you need to actually license it for each and every VM. Uh, and if you don't license it for all your VMs, you won't get real numbers from it, I guess. So you can't kind of sub-license it for a subset of VMs if you need to. Uh, so the pricing for vCenter operations seems to be a kind of uh, kind of out there for now, based on uh, competing products, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of competition in that space. Um, everyone's Seems to, there seems to be a lot of new versions coming out. I've seen the odd hint on, on Twitter of a lot of the, the major players in that market have got got something new uh, in the pipeline. Um, and some of it, I think, is better than uh, the the sensor product. But you know, it's 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 choice out there. I mean, I think there are doubtless people that will use it. Probably people that will get. You know, if you get enough NFR licenses of it, or if you, know, um, if you do get a big discount, I reckon it, it'll end up possibly being bundled with Enterprise Plus, but like a bit like that with you. You know, it's a good incentive. By Enterprise Plus licensing, we'll we'll own 50 VMs worth of um, vCenter uh, operations licensing. Yeah, this, the same uh, licensing uh, deal they did with uh, CapIQ as well. Um, I got CapIQ licenses when I got the Enterprise Plus licenses in oh. addition to the view licenses. So, well, I wonder whether you can trade your CapIQ licenses up to uh, operations ones. That's actually pretty interesting. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting point to try and talk to VMware about, actually. Yeah. So I, I think I'll try that on Monday. Yeah, speak, speak to your account manager. Yeah, yeah. I want to try it, but I want it cheap. Yeah, as I, as I do with everything, so yeah, it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. It won't be the first time that I've heard that from me. So, <laughs> Speaking of uh, cheap things, um, I hear uh, you've been having some fun and games with home media streaming. Oh, yeah, my boxy. Um, that worked fine for about two weeks, and then it didn't work anymore at all. Oh, did it just? Uh, I mean, because boxy, boxy's just software, isn't it? No, they have the, there's this D-Link boxy box, which is a, a small, black, pretty little cube thing. Okay, so rather than running it on the other or something. Or you could yeah, actually so actually, I, I replaced an agingly old Xbox with a boxy box okay. uh, instead um, to be able to play HD content and surround sound and everything. And it, it worked perfectly for about two weeks. And then all of a sudden, uh, after I restarted it, uh, it didn't boot anymore. And when you got one of those uh, appliance boxes with, you you don't have anything if the, uh, the, uh, the actual video output doesn't work. So uh, being uh, kind of a networking guy that I am, I kept monitoring the, uh, the HTTP scope in my home network and it never actually requested an IP anymore, so I couldn't connect to it at all. No serial. Yeah, it it was on, but it didn't do anything. No video output, no networking, nothing. Uh, And uh, this is a pretty new product, and that kind of uh, D-Link support um, helped me with realizing that 
buying a product like that so early kind of leaves you a bit on your own. They didn't know anything about it at all. Uh, so, so I, I was actually able to to uh, find uh, reset procedures and whatever quicker than the uh, the uh, support person I could. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's always concerning. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, he kept telling me that uh, the power button should change colors while I tried telling him that it's plastic; it's nothing <laughs> else. Uh, <laughs> it's obviously been instructions for when it was still on an Xbox. Yeah, probably or. Uh, something else entirely. I don't know. Uh, the thing is that the actual boxy logo in front of it should change colors, but it didn't. So, uh, last time I checked, my replacement box was still stuck in the Netherlands for some reason. Um, where, sh- where in the world is Christian's boxy? Yeah, um, it started out in Gatwick, London. For some reason, they decided to send it via, via DHL to Brussels. And then it went to uh, Eindhoven in the Netherlands, and it's been there for a couple of days. So I, I have no idea what they're doing. It's it's but, just hanging out. Yeah. Someone someone on Twitter suggested it was it was trying to get frequent flyer miles or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's gonna gonna upgrade itself to premium delivery. <laughs> yeah, a week late. That may help me a lot. But it does seem there's been a bit of customer service uh, sort of yin and yang because today I've I've had some fantastic customer service. Um, I'm in the process of trying to move house, which is, you know, is quite a stressful thing. And the the biggest thing that worries me about moving house is losing internet connectivity. Um, Knowing the UK and and how quickly uh, DSL lines get set up, i.e. not very quickly, I was fully expecting to have a, at least a two-week period of not having any uh, any connectivity at all. So, but if I phoned up at a supplier, who I, I will name and uh, inverse, well, opposite of Shane, really, I phoned up Plusnet, and uh, if you, you've seen, seen their um, adverts, they, they, they pride themselves on being from Yorkshire, which apparently is supposed to be a good thing. However, uh, within 20 minutes of phoning up and saying, right, I want to order a phone line and DSL, I had a text message saying, um, yep, we've, we've done it. Here's a new phone number. It's active. I don't actually move in till Wednesday. Um, <laughs> but I've never had a phone line set up so quickly in my entire life. And what's more is that I'm trying to get onto the um, fibre to the premises trial. So hopefully uh, I might actually get some decent web access and be one of the few people in the UK that's got some significantly good internet connectivity. Um, and again, they I got contacted by their Twitter account over it, which I thought was even better. Uh, the fact that they ask for your Twitter name when you sign up is uh, yeah, pretty forward thinking. Before you give full positive feedback, wait until you get there and test it. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I've had an issue. If, if this like goes that. wrong, you're going to get such a slagging. Yeah, wow, these guys are really nice. Everything's working the way, you know, perfect customer service get there, not working. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just get, get phone up a call center, get relayed all around the world twice. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm sure that won't happen. I've got, I've got very much good faith in them, I hope. That I gave them the right address, and someone else has just lost their phone line. Um, but uh, no, we should, I think I think we should be all all good for that one. And uh, quite looking forward to. Uh, other things uh, I noticed was the VMworld call for papers. Uh, sorry for, for a subject change, but I, I just noticed a uh, a note on my screen saying write one. Um, in that, uh, yeah, it's it, it's time for those who want to try and present at VMworld to uh, actually do something about it. Um, I don't know if Simon Long will actually be doing his Operation Pink Dirt, but just in case, uh, I've decided that I'm going to at least submit a paper, uh, whether it will get um, selected or not is, is another matter. Is yeah. anyone else going for it? Getting the paper submitted is one thing, it's cool and everything, but then the minute you have to start, I would have to start talking in front of that many people, I might change my mind a bit. 
Yeah, you've got to think you're talking to millions of people now on this podcast. You know, the, the thousands of millions of people listening in, you know, it's just going to be... <laughs> Yeah. You are the only thing on a lot of people's computers right yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. So much so that they didn't even compete in our last uh, podcasts. Um, yeah, I was uh, just about to say that. We have so many listeners that we actually don't have a single one that wants a cheese hat for some reason. I don't know why. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was... But, but it should help that I actually threatened to post pictures of myself wearing it, which should scare basically everyone to... <laughs> Just submit uh, a, a response to the question just to be assured that they won't be seeing pictures of me use, using it. Yeah, I would be uh, using but, it sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> that would be weird if you had the cheese hat, the shirt, and just no pants on. That would be, that might get somebody to join the competition. But, yeah, well, that's not kind of the, uh, that wasn't the way of using it that I was actually going for, but okay, uh, sure. Good, good. Whatever shows, but. <laughs> Uh, speaking of giveaways, uh, Chad Sakach uh, of EMC Fame, I guess, um, posted a blog post called Using VMware Want More Perf Help Me Help You, which is a lot of marketing in one sentence, but okay. Uh, what he, what, basically, what he wants to do is have people submit their, their storage IO profiling uh, based on a uh, a set of PowerShell scripts that uh, they have created. Uh, Clint Kitson, uh, one of the specialists, have, uh, has created those scripts. Uh, what he wants you to do is run those against your uh, storage, um, regardless of your if you're using EMC or not, and um, post them back to EMC for comparison. Uh, they can use it for... Uh, well, basically, uh, they want a, a set of normal customer workload characterizations. Uh, and in return for handing over your precious I.O. stats, uh, you'll actually receive uh, iOmega iX2 shipped to you. Oh, anybody who does it. Anyone, no strings attached, is what he, he said on Twitter, at least. So. Wow. Basically, what he needs is your environment info and the output from the scripts uh, posted to a decent uh, uh, thread on emc.com. Uh, I'll, I'll find the link and, and, and uh, add it to the uh, to the announcement post. But if you if you want an IX2, why not? The IX that's the the little little one, isn't it? Yeah, it's the small, slow, noisy one, but it works. Yeah, I think it's two dri two drives, yep. Yeah, two one terabyte drives uh set up in a mirror. Basically. And it, it gives you iSCSI, it gives you NFS and it I, I have one of those at home for basically uh backups of all of the uh the photos I, I have. So they work pretty well, but I wouldn't run any VMs off it. It's uh, pretty slow, but uh, it's a nuts and box for shared storage uh in your lab or in your home network. Yeah, that's um, you know, and free some it. free free hardware for running running a few scripts, and they're not yeah. by the looks of it asking for any confidential data. It's just IO profile. Yeah, I exactly. uh, think I might have to go <laughs> boot the test lab up. <laughs> What's it run against? Ready nows. <laughs> I'm gonna run run mine towards the IX2, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do, do X2s replicate if you've got a couple? Do they do they talk to you? Oh, yeah, they they have R-Sync uh, um, capabilities to replicate to, with each other. So, yeah. Okay. Like most all of the competing like, products as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I, I can basically place one of the second IX2 at work and just have off-site replication of my photos. Yeah, I, I guess for the sort of things that you're doing, for your photos and just file store. Um, yeah. I can I can be tempted by all this. <laughs> a good little media uh, media sharing box for your boxy when it works. So speaking of uh, these little NAS devices, right now I'm in the middle of doing a I'm going to start doing a test on four different competitors' products, and uh, we're going to choose one for backups for like our small offices to just have a uh, some sort of backup source that we can replicate off somewhere else. I haven't had any yeah. experience, but 
The IX4 is actually one of the ones we're looking at along with QNAP and um, Synology, if you guys have any experience with those. I've played around. I have an IX4 at home as well. Um, the IX4 is great, basically. It's, uh, it's excellent. Uh, it's a bit slow on ISTC, uh, as uh, uh, Gabe mentioned last time. Uh, there's a fix for that coming up sometime. Uh, but uh, for the most of uh, most of whatever, we, we're looking to standardize on those aboard the, uh, our vessels for exactly that purpose, local backups that we will replicate to shore. And the IX-4 is, is just brilliant in that regard. And it looks good, too. The fun so part it's, it's, is after I test them, I get to choose one for my own home lab, which uh, is really cool. Yeah, so which cool. is the most expensive? <laughs> <laughs> well, I picked the ones that were all kind of in the same price range and seemed to be like direct competitors with, uh, with each other. That's pretty cool. I, was, for, I mean, the, the kid I've got at home, the um, Netgear Ready NAS, one uh, I got because it was pretty cheap and it was a, a bare bones so just put drives in it um, apparently you can run a nice cuzzy module on it but I'm just using NFS at the moment I've, I'm coming strangely addicted to yeah. NFS um, and I'm pretty happy with it I mean it was cheap so yeah the ready NAS um, was pretty cheap probably um, was two, it was £200 without drives and I happened to have some, some leftover drives from a Windows Home Server project, which didn't go so well, um, and yeah, I've been pretty happy so far. Touchwood, uh, it's really solidly made. It's very sturdy, and anything with a little handle at the back always always does it for me. Yeah, we're also testing ReadyNAS, the the four drive model. Yeah, yep, that's what I've got, um, and it's it's a really nice little bit of kit. Last but not least. Um, just before we started recording, I noticed that uh, our guest is due to be taking a test drive in a somewhat unusual car this weekend. David, do you want to uh, fill us in on that? Yeah, so um, about a year ago, I sent a, an email off to Tesla um, asking them to let me know when they get their, their Model S car over here so I could test drive it. Um, they rang, rang me up on Wednesday or something saying, oh, we've got a test drive book for you. Uh, do you want to come and, and, and do it? I said, brilliant. And then they mentioned it wasn't the Model S. It was actually the Roadster, um, which is the one that they've got out and Top Gear has tested and it's been out for a little while. But I thought, brilliant opportunity to go down and, and you know test a proper electric car. That, you know, I think the Nauta 60 time is ridiculous, something like that. So it's actually at the yeah. British Motor Show up in um, Windsor on the Sunday, I think. Wow. Cool. So I saw there was a Tesla showroom uh, in Copenhagen. Uh, it was near where the uh, the V-Mug party was. And mm. I, something, just, it, it didn't look like a car showroom. You're sort of walking past, it was like, you know, fashion boutique, bank. Why is someone part what looks like a really fat load of Salise? And that's not a load of Salise. Ooh. <laughs> it's got a plug socket going into it. I like it. Yeah. That's the car, the actual same model that uh, Top Gear tested, that kind of ran for two minutes and then it just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot of press stuff about that. About yeah, they, they had they, they pushed it out of the uh, the uh, test track and into uh, the garage to get it uh, recharged again and, and something like that. It's kind of a uh, a weird kind of statement on electric cars, I guess. Well, from, apparently from it was Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah, there was absolute uproar about that apparently because yeah. uh, most of the most of the information he gave was um, kind of slightly inaccurate. So it it was like he, he drove it for like I don't know what was it. 40 minutes or something like that and was dead but yeah. he, he drove it with the pedal absolutely down it's like if you drive a, a Mercedes AMG like that for you know 20 minutes that's going to, you, you're going to be practically running out of pedal on the same thing so it was slightly <laughs> mis to be fair though, it actually doesn't do that many miles um, the, road, the, the Roadster was a technical um, goal uh, just, uh, just to show that they could, they could make an electric car so they could it's prove that they had to the prove the concept really isn't it exactly but the Model S which comes out in 2012 or 2013 US, 2014 UK, 
that's a massive step forward in an electric car. Is, is that just going to look like a, a normal car? Or? It looks a little bit like a Maserati, quote report you. And apparently, with the, de- the tax discount you get over here and over in the US, it's going to be around $40,000 and around £45,000 over here. Don't which, ask me how that works. <laughs> which in Norway probably would be the size, uh, the, the same amount as we pay for a small house. Uh, right. uh, car prices in Norway are more insane than the housing yeah. prices, to be yeah, honest. But surely and, and, you, and you've so got loads of cheap electricity. So. Yeah, well, it, this is, this yeah. is the thing. The, the, the thing that Tesla are putting out there for a, for a full charge of your car, which could potentially do around 250 to 300 miles per charge, is six pounds yeah. compared to what I've paid. I've just put about sixty pounds worth, or sixty-five pounds in my car today, and it's absolutely, you know, it makes so much sense. And this car's beautiful. It's amazing inside. You can do all these. Well, I just pray to God it, it it holds up, and you know they can actually do this because you know it's just it's going to be absolutely brilliant. But well, we'll have to see. The, um, but I'm going to go and test the, the technical achievement first on, on Sunday. So <laughs> look out on Twitter, and I'm sure there will be quite a few pictures anyway. So, Is there any chance you could just bring it along and we could just give it away as the next contest? <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Well, we we won't tell, any, tell you one, anyone. They probably yeah, wouldn't, think, uh, wouldn't yeah. compete for it anyway. So. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> they're about, they're about 90 they're about thousand pounds so I'm sure if someone didn't want it they could get it and then sell it to yeah. <laughs> straight <laughs> on eBay. <laughs> like people could have done with that cheese hat. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, or like I, that. you've missed everyone's missed out. Yeah. And uh, uh, just like the uh the uh realtor here who tried to sell a, a, a house, neighboring house of mine with one of my pictures on it. And it was a lot of fun as well. <laughs> he kind if of nice stuff for if you, want, if, if, if you want something to give away, I have plenty of vmacom.co.uk mugs to give away. Um, so if, if anyone... <laughs> I want one of those. I, I, I can provide those free of charge. I, I want one of those, and I, I'm going to drink coffee while wearing a cheese hat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think... Um, I, I quite like the idea that um, Mike Laverick did last year with his uh, swag bag from v, uh, VMworld raffle, perhaps... Yeah. Uh, perhaps we can uh, collect something, do, do a bit of a donation across across the um, the podcasts, and uh, do an end of year uh, V Soup Christmas present. Yeah, we're cool. V Santa, and that way we can also <laughs> get rid of the cheese hat. That way, we, yeah, basically we can force someone to have the cheese hat. Yeah, just put it but, in with all this other crap. <laughs> Take the cheese hat, <laughs> please. What, one thing I'd like to, to, to put out there, and I, I don't know if there's anyone's organized anything out of the community or out of any of the vendors, but if we could do some kind of donation for, you know, the crisis that's just happened in Japan, you know, like that would be absolutely fantastic. So I think, you know, we've got a really good framework of community, you know, within what we do. Um, and, you know, if we can raise some money for that, I think that would be... Excellent. Indeed, so, I mean, well, t- Twitter was the first place I t- turned to this morning because yeah. I know there's, there's a fair few guys. I mean, one of the guys that was at Techfield Day recently uh, is a, a British guy living in Japan. So, he, yeah. is the first thing you do is uh, try and uh, see what they're up to and make, make sure they're all okay. Yeah, I got a phone call yeah. this morning actually from our, our group company in uh, Tokyo. They had to uh, evacuate the building and I had to do some emergency backups of their VMs. Because I was watching CNN and I was seeing some wicked uh, tsunami stuff coming in. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty pretty scary to actually put put your disaster recovery plans into place. Uh, it does make yeah. everything seem very real very quickly. Luckily, luckily, central Tokyo doesn't doesn't appear to be damaged so much. Where the biggest concentration of people are, it's, it's more the coastal regions, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think they try to evacuate them as well beforehand. So you know, the, it's going to there's going to be a lot of people that you know injured and killed and stuff. But it's, it could have been a lot worse. They've got excellent you know, um, pre- like tsunami prevention scheme things over there. So yeah, and years of design for uh, building for uh, for for earthquakes. Yeah, yeah, it's very very much fit for purpose, as they say. 
Yeah, but the uh, the images we saw today on the in the um, on CNN and local news and whatever were simply astonishing. It's it's amazing how how the forces of nature can just take control like that and just disregard everything that everyone else has done and just overpower it totally. So uh, my thoughts as well go to the. Uh, both to the uh, the victims of everything here and, and the, the ones left behind as well. Um, and, I, and I did the same thing. There were a couple of people on, on Twitter uh, that I know are in the region, and uh, luckily all of them uh, came up and replied that everything was, was okay, but but chaotic, but okay. So there's a but this is this is a this is a huge tragedy in any any sense of the word. Definitely. Put things into perspective. Yeah. Very much so. On that slightly more somber note than uh, than usual, uh, it's time for us us to wrap up this week. But uh, be sure to tune in on iTunes, Winamp, or from on the our website at vsoup.net for future episodes.